I was looking at the schedule here this morning, and I see that Mark did not put the title on here, and that's probably because our speaker last week went rogue and abandoned the subject that was in our official list and did that the, the most amazing delivery on, what was the word? Was it? Imprecatory prayers. Wasn't that good? Carmen, is, are you here, Carmen? Nice. Back row. I love that. <laughs> Thank you for your work, Carmen. We appreciated it. It was very, very helpful to understand those difficult prayers. This morning, we're looking at a cry and a praise, and so often that's true of our lives. Our speaker this morning comes from Sherwood Park, Rita Penner. She was born a Perry on, I think, on Vancouver Island and spent her first 18 years or so, roughly, uh, maybe 15 years, um, at Homewood. So for those of you who are from the island, you've got a kinfolk here, and those of you who have been to Homewood will relate well to that as well. She, I see, brought her own cheering squad, her parents, who are the Perrys. Len and June Perry are, you know, good friends and live right here in the community. What's interesting is about this is the connection between our family, my parents who are SIM missionaries in Africa, and this family. Because my parents were in a car accident, right? Most of you know that, all of you. Um, they had a head-on car accident in January 82. And um, at that point, Len and June were, I think you were here in school training, and they put up their hands to say, you know, the work that those Maxwells were going to do in Ghana, we'll go and do that. So they actually took the spot that uh, my parents were supposed to have gone back to fill out there in Ghana, and we thank you for doing that in obedience and in heart. She also brought along her brother who would like to invite you to something on Tuesday. He just asked me, can I invite some people to something on Tuesday evening? I said yes, like I probably shouldn't have. Come on up. This is the guy that owns the Redneck uh, Superstore down the road. So Nathan Perry. Uh, hello. Well, this morning I woke up and I was like, oh, man, I can't get out of bed. It's too depressing. But I had no idea I was going to be here this morning uh, when I woke up. But then God kind of put it on my heart. You should go listen to your sister. Like, it's not that often that, uh, you know, she comes to Three Hills to speak, a famous person like her. So anyway, I said, okay, sure, I guess I'll go to work. And that's why I didn't dress for chapel. But anyway, I was at work and I shot over here uh, just before 10. And then I'm standing right there and God's telling me, he's impressing on me that I should ask Mark if it would be okay if I invited the guys to Tuesday night uh, Bible study, prayer meeting. Uh, you never know what it's going to be. It's pretty exciting. It's uh, upstairs at the Redneck Superstore, 7 o'clock tonight, uh, every Tuesday night. So any guys here that want to come, you're welcome. Uh, I know Dennis here has been there quite a bit. Uh, Isaiah's come. He's going to come back, I think. <laughs> uh, and probably some other guys here. But it's been a real blessing. God's really moving in the young guys and uh, some of the older guys too. So if you want to come, uh, you can hook up with somebody for a ride. You can text me 443-8290. Uh, I can come get you, whatever. So anyway, thanks for your time. And uh, by the way, listen up. I've lived uh, or I've known this person for close to 50 years and she's going to have something good to say. So Rita is a pastor at Sherwood Park Alliance. She's responsible for adult ministries. Eight people on their staff report to her, and she looks after what they call congregational life. Rita, come on up. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the privilege of hearing from you. We thank you for this message from Hannah 
about her prayer to you and her praise to you. We pray that you would bless Rita with a huge anointing, an amazing anointing of your Holy Spirit, that you would fill her, give her your words, give her clarity, and help us to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Mark. It's um, an absolute honor and privilege to be here with you this morning. And um, take everything you heard from my brother with a grain of salt because he is my wonderful brother. Um, but I'm absolutely grateful to be here. And as I drove down yesterday and um, was kind of... Um, fighting a little bit of the weather on the way down until ba Bashar it was great and then all of a sudden it was like oh my goodness my theme song became Jesus take the wheel even though I'm not a country fan um, I was incredibly grateful to arrive safe and sound um, but it reminded me also of the year that I graduated from Bible College 1985 I was actually staying out of town um, with some folks and they had to bring me to the graduation ceremony um, in one of the tractors because the roads were so impassable that there wasn't um, a car that could have gotten me in. So yesterday brought back um, a lot of memories. But as I stand here today, I am incredibly grateful to God for the education that I received in this place, um, both a couple of years of high school and then um, Bible college. And that education truly stood me in very good stead, um, not only for the ministry that I would have in the future, but also for life, for life with God. And I know um, the heart of both uh, your good president and his wife um, and all of your faculty here is that you're prepared um, not just for the calling that you have, but for a life spent in communion, in relationship with Jesus. And so I just commend to you today, um, take everything from this time that you can. Don't miss a thing. Um, this is an amazing season of your life. And this may be, may very well be the only time in your life that you are surrounded by people whose goal is to invest in you. And so take advantage of that. Receive that. I love your theme for your chapels this fall, House of Prayer. Um, as I received that from um, Mark, I was absolutely thrilled. Um, prayer is definitely something that God has been uh, just speaking into my life through the whole journey, but especially in some particular new ways in these past 10 years. And I'll share a little bit of that story in a few moments. Um, but as we think of this whole topic of prayer, and as we think of that little term, house of prayer, and where that comes to us in Scripture, we think of one of the places when Jesus um, said, my house is to be called a house of prayer. And we know that Jesus, um, within that same context, um, talked about the fact that, you know, this temple could be torn down and I will rebuild it in three days. And we know that he was actually talking about the temple of his own body. And that when we see those words, house of prayer, we know that God isn't referring to a building, a physical structure. He's referring to you and I. And he's referring to the fact that from the beginning of Scripture to the very end, God gives us this incredible, amazing picture 
that his deepest heart's desire in creating us is that we live life with him. That's what it was like before the fall, right? Adam and Eve walked in the garden. They communed, they talked face to face with God. And this journey that we are on as followers of Jesus is one of becoming more and more attuned to the Father. And to me, a very simple definition of prayer that I um, have just grown to appreciate so much is that prayer is simply talking and listening in a loving, life-giving relationship with God. Talking and listening. And, you know, I think... um, Earlier on in my journey, I was very focused on the talking part. And God welcomes that. He wants to hear us. In fact, we're going to look right away here at someone that not only talked, but cried out in desperation to God. And God longs to hear your voice. But he also longs for you to hear his voice. And he longs for you to hear it as it truly is. A voice of love. And that isn't always what we picture, is it, when we, when we think of God. You know, if my husband were to call, and I hope he won't, and I hope my cell phone's turned off because that would be embarrassing. But if he were to call and my phone was on and I were to pick it up and to say hi, and he were to say hi, I wouldn't need to hear any more than just his hi for me to know who it is, Right? because I would recognize that voice. And no matter what he had to say to me, something I'd be very confident of, whether it was just a simple little to-do or it was an I'm praying for you down there today, I know that the backstory of his voice would be that he's committed to me. He loves me. And that is the backstory of God's voice to you and to me always. Let's dive in. Let's dive into this story today, this story of Hannah, an amazing woman. And there's so much that we could pull out of these passages. Um, We're going to look at two quick ones, the cry and the praise, the song of praise. But there's there's hundreds of things, but I want to keep it quite simple for us this morning because simple is what I usually need. Um, I so appreciated the music this morning. Um, Guys, thank you and gals so much for that. That simple message again, God never lets go. His love never lets go of us. Um, So I'm going to keep it uh, simple, mostly for my sake. But let's dive in here and, and listen to the word of the Lord. Listen to the word of the Lord from 1 Samuel 1, verse 1 to 18. I'm going to dive in at verse 2. He, Elkanah, had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other, Penana. 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 Oh, <laughs> Penina. Penina, sorry. Penina. Um, Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his hometown to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Uh, Phanias, the sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to, to all of her sons and daughters. 
But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and could not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost in the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. This is the story, the word of the Lord, that gives us this cry of Hannah. This heart's cry, and I don't know if you picked it up, but there were several times in there that the word anguish was used. That's an incredibly deep and painful word when it feels like your gut is being wrenched out because of the circumstances in which you find yourself. Let's just review it quickly. What were Hannah's circumstances? Um, I think for any woman that wants a child, not being able to do that is filled with anguish. That's incredibly painful. And if that's you this morning, my heart is with you. In Hannah's day, there was another layer to this. Not only her own personal pain of longing for a child, but of living in a culture where having a child, where having a son proved a woman's worth. And where truly you were looked on as someone who was not enough. Someone who was deficient if you didn't have a child. What about you today? Is there any area of your life that you feel deficient? Anything today that you don't feel like you're enough?
I know I do many times. And I think that's one of the ways that the enemy seeks so regularly to get his hooks in us is that little line, not enough. I'm not enough. So Hannah had this physical reality of childlessness. Then layered on top of that, and all that that meant in her culture, Hannah was bullied. <laughs> That's a word that's thrown around a lot now, isn't it? But this was very, very real, as I know it is for some of you and in some of your story. Hannah was bullied by people right within her closest circle. And we won't go into all the complications of more than one wife and all of that. <laughs> that sounds really messy. But we do get very clearly this picture that uh, the second wife of her husband, Elkanah, was not pleasant to be around, not a gracious person that made life easier for Hannah in her pain, but rather somebody, the text says, that always wanted to provoke and irritate. Don't you love living or being with someone like that who's constantly seeking to provoke and irritate? Um, so Hannah has physical reality of pain. She's bullied. Um, she has a very dysfunctional family. And um, then to top it off, right in this passage, she is misunderstood by a spiritual leader. She's misunderstood when she goes to pour out her heart to God and a God that is represented by a priest, and she is misunderstood by him. And um, that's a lot of layers of pain. Uh, that's a lot of layers of heartache and anguish. But something incredible happens in this story. We aren't told all the words that Hannah says, but we are told that in the course of this, and we're not going to go deep into her barter with God or any of that this morning, but what we want to see this morning is that Hannah's cry to God changes her. Hannah's prayer changes Hannah. And we see that so clearly because here's a woman that comes in and is so distraught. Her pain is so real. But she comes in and in authenticity, she pours out the anguish of her heart to the Lord God Almighty. And then it says, she gets up, she goes, she eats, and her face is no longer downcast. Incredible. Has anything actually changed in Hannah's situation? No, nothing has changed at this point at all. But Hannah is changed. She's changed because she knows the key. And that key is remembering who is the source of our help. She knows who is the source of our help. And before anything changes in her circumstances, Hannah is changed. And authentic prayer changes us when we focus on the one we are praying to. 
So I don't know. I don't know the words that Hannah said, all of the words. But something happened within that time frame, that pouring out her heart that allowed Hannah's focus to change. It allowed her focus to change from her lack, to, from her not being enough, to God being enough. Because she's actually physically changed. She's a different woman when she gets up from her prayer time. You know, we, we often, we have all kinds of ways that we try to cope with difficult circumstances, don't we? And the world around us gives us many different options of how to deal with pain. Um, one of them is the self-help industry, right? I mean, this is a massive thing in our society. Um, billions, it's, it's a billion, multi-billion dollar industry, this thing of self-help. You can find a self-help book about just about anything you want. Um, so self-help is huge, and, and something about God is, yes, he does want us to look after the things we can look after, but he wants us to depend on him through all of it and to know that he is a good and loving God that we go to. And this thing of self-help, I believe, has crept into um, our lives so often as believers. We live in a society where you know, you should be able to fix it, right? You should be able to find the website that gives you the answer. I mean, it's all at your fingertips. You should be able to figure this out. And you know, if it's to be, it's up to me. Have you heard that in some form or other? That you should be able to handle it. You should be able to figure it out. You should be able to make life work. And we have this self-help mentality that makes us actually literally, literally crazy as a society. Um, I have to say, I fall into it quite often. Um, one of the things I, I um, struggle with is I'm a clutter person. And so I, um, I have oh, many times bought a book that is going to help me with my clutter. I brought one home um, not too long ago, and my son looked at it, and he said, that's good, Mom. You can add that to your stack of books about clutter. And um, <laughs> I thought, oh, my goodness, he's so right. But, you know, we can laugh about some of these things, and we can laugh at ourselves. And, yes, there's help to be found in certain things. But at the core of who we are, we can also begin to believe that we should be able to figure life out and that we should be enough. And that is never how God intended it. He intended us to live in a relationship of loving dependence. And prayer reminds us of that. When we come to God in authenticity and we pour out our hearts with the reality of life, life that has so many highs and lows, a world that has so much brokenness, and when we come and authentically pour that out to God and ask for His help, we're in the right spot. We're in the right spot because it changes us and it reminds us we are not alone. We are not asked to figure it all out. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. God is our refuge. We do not need to be our own source. Um, something else we are told to do is just stuff it, um, ignore it, hope it goes away. Uh, that doesn't work. Another thing we try with pain is drown it. And um, we see that with all kinds of addictions, um, seeking to drown pain. 
uh, a very popular psychologist um, right now na named Gabor Mate, um, who is, is not a believer as far as I know, um, who studies addictions. Um, he, he says this, he says, um, all addiction is a result of pain. And that when we see addiction or when we're experiencing addiction, we shouldn't be asking why the addiction. We should be asking why the pain. But just asking why the pain doesn't actually help, does it? We need to know the one that we can take our pain to. So it doesn't, try, it doesn't help often with these kinds of things to say, I'm going to fix it. It doesn't help to stuff it. It doesn't help to try to drown it. What we have to do is learn, like Hannah, to release it. But it's not just releasing it. I mean, Oprah would tell you we should let it go, right? We live in a world that says over and over, yeah, you need to let it go. Let it go. You, you know, don't stuff it. Don't all of that. Let it go. But the key here is who are we letting it go to? Who are we going to trust in with the pain, with the challenges that we are facing. And Hannah gives us this amazing illustration that she put her hope in God before anything else changed. She was changed by pouring out her heart to God. Um, I told you I'd share a little bit about my life uh, about 10 years ago. Um, I had been a pastor for um, quite a few years. For many years, I worked in worship arts. And I was really thrilled this morning that our worship leader actually is from our church. And it thrills my heart that he is um, studying worship arts. Um, that's awesome. But I uh, um, worked in worship arts and led worship for many years. Um, and without going into the whole story, let me just say this. That as, um, as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus... I think I had slowly begun to buy into a lie of the enemy, and we've already talked about it. But that lie of the enemy was that, you know what, Rita? You're just not doing good enough. You're not doing enough. You've been given so much. You have amazing parents, amazing brother. Um, <laughs> um, but you truly, you've been given so much, and you're not doing good enough. And I stood on many platforms like this, looking out and believing, you know what? God loves every one of you so much. And my heart's cry truly was for you to experience that. But something had been, begun to happen insidiously in my own soul where I had subtly begun to believe that that's true for all of you, but I'm actually not doing good enough. God's a bit disappointed. In fact, I came to a place feeling like he's quite disappointed, actually, Rita, in how you're doing. And I began to believe that lie, and that lie took root. And I couldn't have articulated it to you at the time at all. But it just subtly began to take root that it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And you know what I began to do then? I began to hide. And I began to stuff it, to ignore it. I knew the right words to say, but there was becoming a greater and greater disconnect between what my mouth was saying and my heart was feeling as I began to feel more and more inadequate. 
as I began to focus more and more on the needs of all of the people in our church family, in our community, around the globe, as I focused my attention there and desperately wanted to be part of the solution, but was becoming more and more disconnected with the one who could give me uh, what I needed to do, what he was calling me to do, not what I thought needed to be done. And all of that, um, just to make a long story short, actually kind of came, came to a head one day, and I had no idea what was happening, but I was driving to the church, and um, I had incredible pain in my chest and going down my left arm, and thought I was having a heart attack, and pulled the car over and called my husband, um, and he said, you better, uh, we better call 911. And just to make it really short here, just ended up at the hospital on all the machines, um, thinking that it, you know, them thinking I was having a heart attack, and um, only to find out um, that it was a massive panic attack. I had never had one, so I didn't really know, I didn't know what I was experiencing. Um, but this was the beginning of a journey of God inviting me again back into a life of authenticity with him. That was a season for me of crying out to God in my anguish like I never had before. And looking back, I'm just so incredibly grateful to God for his kindness in walking with us through every season of our lives. And you know, uh, that, that was the beginning that day of a long journey, and I was actually off work for nine months. Um, and it was a journey of uh, counseling, of prayer, of uh, getting some things really figured out as far as um, when God says you need a Sabbath and you need to rest, um, what that looked like uh, for me, of looking... Um, at things like, yes, there's doctors who can give us medication that can help our bodies recover and heal. So there was multiple ways God used to bring healing in my life. But there was one day that was absolutely pivotal in my healing. And I was sitting in, uh, I was sitting in our bedroom upstairs, and I was sitting on the floor, and I was crying again in anguish, an absolute mess, not unlike um, completely different circumstances and story, but not unlike Hannah being in an absolute mess. Um, such a mess that if the phone would have rang at that moment, I wouldn't have answered it anyways because I was too anxious to answer the phone in those days. But sitting there and crying and crying out to God, and in the quietness of that moment hearing a voice like it was the first time, even though I had heard it many times since I was a child, but hearing a voice that simply said, I love you. And in my mess and in my brokenness, complete brokenness, wondering if I would ever again work, ever again be able to care for my family, ever again get through a day without going back to bed. In that moment, I heard, I love you 
brand new way. And for whatever reason, in that moment, I was able to receive it from God as the truth. And in that moment truly of prayer, of being with God in my pain, God's truth began to change me. Nothing changed in my circumstances. I wasn't able that afternoon to bounce up and make some phone calls and, you know, make supper and, and, and move on. Nothing changed in my outward circumstances, but everything began to change for me internally. And a new kind of authenticity in my relationship with God was forged. And I'm so grateful for that. And if I could tell you one thing out of there that I believe Hannah, I believe, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I believe she would say to you too is, prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not saying the right words. Prayer is sharing the reality of what is actually happening in your life with a God who is able and longing to help you who is able and longing to change your perspective so that you can release it, not just release it to the universe or release it somewhere, release it to the God who loves you more than you can imagine. Release it to Him. God is my refuge, my strength, a very present help in trouble. All right, we just have a couple of minutes left to look at the song. But that was the cry. And again, just one kind of prayer. And I know in this series, you're looking at all different kinds. So this is one kind of prayer. But this is so important because loving relationship always has to be built on honest communication, right? And if you are going to walk in the way God intended you to walk from before the time the world began in a loving relationship with him, it has to be built on honesty and honesty about how you are doing and who you are. And then an honest look at who God is. Incredible, <clears throat> incredible. And what he can do for you. All right, so that's the cry, the cry of our heart. Then we look at um, when things actually do begin to change. And so let's just quick read this because there is a change. And we see that at the end of um, chapter 1, and we're going to read just a bit of the end here, and then we're going to skip down, and then we're going to read the actual um, song of praise that Hannah prays. <clears throat> Early the next morning, so this is just right after her cry, her, her <clears throat> authentic cry to God. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. And then we read the section that tells us how Hannah cared for Samuel and once she, he was old enough, she kept her promise. She remembered that God was the source. And she, her focus wasn't on the gift that God had given, 
the answer that God had given in response to her prayer. Her focus was on the giver of that gift. And uh, so here's what she does. She takes Samuel back, back to Eli, back to serve in the temple. And she says in verse 27 of chapter 1, I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped, and he worshiped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warrior are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children. She who had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and, he ha and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants. But the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Wow, <laughs> what a powerful, powerful song of praise Hannah gives. But really the focus of her song of praise and the focus of her cry are exactly the same. Her focus is God. When she is in absolute struggle, she goes to the source that she knows. She realizes she is dependent and there is one who can help. She is God-focused in her cry. She is God-focused in her thanks, in her praise. And she refers to her situation in this psalm, but her focus is on the Lord God Almighty, who is her deliverer. And her life focus is the Lord God Almighty. Because we see that the gift that God gives her in response to her cry, she gives right back to him fully. And she has no idea at the time that she does that, the impact that that little boy is going to have on the future of Israel, on the future of you and I, the things that we learn through the life of Samuel and the things that were done through the life of Samuel are incredible. And that's a whole nother talk. But amazing what God does through him. Israel is in this place where they're coming to the end. Samuel is actually the last of the judges, but he is the one who God uses to transition 
um, his people into the kings. And he anoints the first two kings over Israel. And those kings are representative of the King of kings and the Lord of lords who will come and who will one day set everything right. And we see Hannah. Hannah has this, even though she doesn't know that this little son is going to do an amazing thing, her focus is God's great plan, not just her situation. And that's amazing. That's incredible. Um, uh, I'm <clears throat> involved in something we're developing at um, Shore Park Alliance called School of Discipleship, and it's just really simply a pathway, a defined pathway for people to uh, begin to uh, make that journey of what does it look like to become a mature follower of Jesus. And so um, we have courses and tools that um, we are offering. And one of the things that really um, seemed to resonate really deeply last year in one of the classes I was teaching was just this thought, um, and we're going to close with this, but this thought that, um, you know, at times there's illustrations that we use in, in, in church, in Christian circles that are very valuable, but they sometimes get extended beyond the point. And here's one of them. Um, how many of you have heard this one? In every single person's um, life, there's a God-shaped hole. Like every person on the planet has a God-shaped hole, right, in them. So there's, there's truth there's total truth in that, and I don't want to throw that under the bus in any way. But here's the problem. If we make that too much our focus, it becomes quite self-centered. It's kind of like, well, you know what? Just add God to your life. Add God to your plans. And we really talked a lot about that actually maybe a better description of that is that in God's amazing, grand story, there's a Hannah-shaped hole. There's a Rita-shaped hole. There's a your-shaped hole in God's plan. God invites to join, invites us to join Him in what He is doing. And Hannah gets that. In this song of praise, she gets that. She talks about God's grand plan. And so she doesn't become fixated on her son and the answer to her prayer. She is fixated on the God of the universe and on what he is doing. Her, her song of praise is amazingly God-focused. And I don't know, as a mom of four kids, I can only imagine how difficult that day was when she took Samuel and, and gave him over. But her prayer of praise shows us that she is surrendered. She is surrendered to this God that loves her and knows her. And she wants to be part of what he is doing in the universe. And so in this prayer, we see that praise allows us to focus on the giver. On the giver and on his grand plan. Not on the gift and become fixated on that. So my prayer for you today as we close is just that as you continue in this journey, this journey of learning the language, the language of the kingdom of which we are a part, and that language is prayer, that you will continue just as you, as you have this incredible privilege of spending time in God's Word in a very unique way in a Bible college setting, 
that you will continue to see that every one of these types of prayer that we look at really are God-focused. And when we take the situations of our lives and we give them to this God, we are changed. And we have the incredible, incredible privilege of becoming part of His amazing plan. Can I just pray for you as we go? Thank you, God, so much for your word this morning. I know we, we just skipped a stone over this story, and yet, God, um, what you've shown us is incredible, that there is a safe place, there is a safe person, and his name is the Lord God Almighty, that we can bring the deepest anguish, the deepest pain of our lives to and the voice that we will always hear is a voice of love. I pray for any person in this room this morning that is facing deep pain. All of us have it, but there's seasons where it's especially difficult. I pray, Jesus, that you would meet them as they cry out to you. That you would be their refuge and strength. And then, Father, for all of us, would you give us a fresh vision, even as we sang worship together earlier, would you give us a fresh vision of who you are and of the incredible privilege of being part of your plan, of, of the fact that there's, there's a place, there's a place, God, in your beautiful narrative for us to be part of what you are doing, and that gives our lives incredible value and meaning. So we love you and we thank you. Thank you for the gift of prayer and of communicating with you. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you.